Escape the ordinary with green and blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. Sponsor of The Moments That Made Me, the weekend podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Welcome to The Moments That Made Me. I'm Esther McCarthy, and this week we get to meet Mario Rosenstock. He's Ireland's favourite comic satirist, and he keeps us in stitches every morning on Ian Dempsey's Breakfast Show on Today FM. But we get to chat to the man behind the mask in this podcast, and he was really honest and open with us. He tells us about meeting his wife and how she changed the course of his life. Um, He shares that shower routine that got him a start in comedy. And he also tells us how it all started in Cork when he went down to see a play and got bit by the acting bug. And we hear as well, he's looking maybe to go back to that, his first love of acting. And he tells us about his new podcast as well. It's like brand new comedy, rants about the state of the world, interviews with a twist. And you'd never know what you're going to get, but you know you'll always have Mario there to welcome you in, as he says himself. So we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Mario Rosenstock, welcome to The Moments That Made Me. Thank you for taking the time today to talk to us. Well, thank you, Esther. And this is, uh, I think, our second time meeting, isn't it? The last time was in the Opera House. That's right. Upstairs in the Opera House, I'm still starstruck from it. I got like a front row, <laughs> one man show. I was just like, it was Oh, just no, we had a good a chat highlight. down that day. Yeah, we had it a good chat. Brilliant fun. And I went to see the show after and it kind of made it all the more um, intriguing for me to, to see the show live. Then after it was brilliant. Oh, great. I forgot forgotten that you came to see the show after yeah, that yes so sorry about that. that would be brilliant brilliant <laughs> oh yeah I mean obviously like the shows down in Cork are a pretty much a highlight of not only my tours but pretty much my life actually um, well Cork feels uh, the same know. way Mario you always get sellouts down here don't you mm, mm, I do and um, I've always kind of I've, I've been asked about that a, a few times and uh, I think obviously there is a kind of a kinship with the some of the characters I do down in Cork so like the the Ronan O'Gara and the Roy Keane specifically. But I think that um, also there is a thing about Cork that loves the piss take. Um, just it's at a, high, a slightly more heightened level than every than most other places in the country. And the other thing is that I went to school in Cork for four years. So I developed a kind of a love affair with Cork at a very important time in my life when I was 14 through 18. Those developing um, years. Exactly. Hormones flying everywhere and your whole self-consciousness of who you are as a person begins to crystallize. And it begin for many people, you begin to see, who am I? Who am I going to be? What kind of a person am I going to be? What kind of things might I do? And they all happened while I was in Cork. And, You're welcome. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, but, but the piss take is amazing because I remember once when... Um, a certain renowned, venerable broadcaster in Cork was in a spot of bother um, regarding a, a regarding a flight that he had taken. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I arrived down for a show in Cork during the firestorm of that story going through the city. And by the time I got into Cork, every taxi driver I had had five minutes of material ready for me. <laughs> In the front seat. And the brilliance of it was that no five <laughs> minutes were the same. Are you serious? They were all different and all equally brilliant. 
So by the time I got onto stage at the Opera House uh, that evening, I'd had 20 minutes of material fed into my ear holes from the taxi drivers <laughs> of Cork. You can't get better than the taxi drivers in Cork, I'll tell you that much, that's yeah. for sure. And Camille, when you're just saying about knowing who you are and figuring out when you're young, your first moment that you picked kind of links into that, Mario. Um, can you tell us about seeing your brother in the musical that time and how that shaped you? Yeah, that was in Cork. And, uh, yeah, that was in Cork, actually. That dovetailed quite quite nicely. It did, thank you. Um, segue. Yeah, I, I, I went to school. Um, my brother went to school in Ashton and um, I was then going to go to school a year later in Ashton. So I went down to um, what I regarded as, you know, Bogsland at the time. I was pretty much a kind of a, a Don Johnson, Miami Vice knockoff at that stage. So I was this, what I thought was Swish Dublin Jackine arriving down in my white, uh, my white jacket with the sleeves rolled up on the arms, hands in the pockets, hair, blonde hair slicked back, Don Johnson style. And I was going down to this bogland that I thought was Cork uh, to see my brother in a play. Anyway, when I arrived in, I was very surprised because, first of all, the 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 professionalism of the play was at a, at a level that I hadn't quite expected. The set, the acting, the music, the sound um, was, was all brilliant. But the next two factors really blew me away. And that was my brother, who was just so good in this kind of, it was a reimagination, a reimagining of, of Cinderella in 1920s Britain. Oh, cool. Where, where Cinderella was a man and it was, he was called Mr. Cinders. And was your brother the lead role? My brother was the lead role ah. and the lights were shining on him and he was singing divinely and he was beautiful and he looked amazing and I was transfixed. <laughs> but more than that, I looked around and all the girls were transfixed. And I was going, <laughs> well, fuck that for a game of soldiers. That's going to be me. There's a team this here, time. Mario. <laughs> this, this time next year, that's going to be me. And by Jesus, I went after it. And of course, I did come down to um, Ashton and its boarding school, Rochelle House. Oh, and yeah. next year, then pretty much the same time next year, that was me on the stage. I had just completely become uh, bitten by this bug. And uh, did you get that bitten by anyone else after your? <laughs> 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 did your nefarious clan work to have them falling at your feet? Were you popular with the ladies then? One hundred percent. Of course. 100%. And, but also, like, I was new in school. So, like, if you're familiar with the concept of being a new boy arriving in a school, and especially if you come from Dublin and you're down to Cork, there's going to be a tremendous amount of curiosity, at least, about you. And so you have a little window of opportunity to take advantage of that curiosity, like a wasp, like a wasp in its dying embers in November, to get a few stings in before he's found out. That is very and descriptive. I've never heard it be described. And I was that rapacious wasp before he was smashed up against the window and squashed. But um, no, I definitely took advantage, full advantage of my Don Johnsonisms and my Dublinisms and my, you know, because I remember like walking through the school and everything and the local hoodlums in the school, the, the lads who'd, who'd be oh, leaning up against the wall, you know. And I went, I was just, the first time I ever heard this and I was just walking down the corridor and I just heard in the back of my there's the new flannel. <laughs> I had no clue what they were talking about, but they were sort of taking the piss out of, out of this fella, and this new fella from Dublin. Who, who, thought, who thought he was, who thought he was all that, you know? And of course, part of being all that 
when you're that age is thinking you're all that. If you think you're all that, a lot of other people will think you're all that. So whether you're all that or not is not really important. It's immaterial. It's more that you kind of have the attitude. And by God, of course, I thought I was great coming from Dublin. And uh, yeah, exactly. But then I fell in love with Cork. It took me a little while and, and then I just completely changed and I fell in love with Cork. And I fell in love with the growing up in Cork and becoming an ad, becoming a young adult and making lots and lots of friends in Cork. And many of my friends, many, many of which friends are still, um, you know, good friends of mine. So you couldn't have been uh, that much of a langer if they're still talking to you now. Yeah. And of course, two of them, you know, we, we slept beside each other on, in a boarding school. So two but of the guys, really Orion, Orion was one of them, a very unusual name again, Orion. And he came from Alahis. And his uh, dad was a famous, quite a famous painter called Morris Henderson. And uh, and he was called Orion. And uh, the other guy on the other side was Frayne Padgham. And he was from uh, California, but he was living in Kilcrahan in, in, in Cork. And his mother had kind of a famous restaurant down there, which only used to be able to, you know, uh, have two or three people dining in the restaurant at the time. And in fact, the story goes that one time Gareth Fitzgerald flew down in a helicopter as, as Taoiseach to dine there and everything, you know. So there was great little stories. Okay, Mario, all you these really places. didn't have the same teenage years in Cork that I did. <laughs> 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 I was in the tunnel up in Wilton. <laughs> Scoring. Ah, no, <laughs> so I was... Fancy, the, yeah, very fancy. Yeah, well, we used to throw the, the bed sheets out the window and lower ourselves down and uh, escape for chips at night into the middle of Cork and see who, who we could meet. You maddies. And speaking of, you know, falling in love and, you know, thinking you're all that, in 1995, in a very salubrious location, it happened for real when you met Lonnad. Can you tell us about your next moment? Sure. Um... So I guess by 1995, I was about 25 years of age and I was uh, an actor and I was kind of going between jobs and it was, you know, it was a difficult life uh, being an actor because you do something you think is good and then the phone doesn't ring for weeks and months. And then you do something like, remember once I appeared in an Aer Lingus commercial and I didn't even think about it twice. And then the phone ran, kept ringing for a few weeks and you're going, this is a strange old business, isn't it? You know, it, and it's very much outside of your control. But anyway, I was... Um, Living, leading my merry life as a as a as a young man in Dublin with his mates going around, uh, probably again in a phase of my life thinking I'm all that. Actually, there's quite a few phases of my life where I think I'm all that. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm actually got, we agree hope I'm with going, you, Mario. You are all well. That. No, you with, with my new with my new podcast now, I'm beginning to think I'm all that again. And then I and then it suddenly dawns on me that I'm not all that. And then I think somebody at the top of my shoulder going, "No, you are all that, Mario." It's, I, it's a typical thing that people go through as humans. You know, it's a little phases and cycles. But anyway, at this period, I definitely thought I was all that. And uh, I used to hang out with a group of lads who, even more than me, thought they were more than all that. So, to, you know, they really did now. So we'd go into these uh, clubs or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And I was in that kind of period in my life where maybe you were having a lot of, let's say, how would I describe them? Um, very temporary relationships. And um, I guess something maybe in me was getting, even though I didn't know it myself, was getting absolutely worn out with that sort of lifestyle of basically drinking too much and getting hammered and getting off at somebody and then not knowing really what's happening at all, right? You know, just going around like a blue arse fly. And maybe I was getting upset with that and didn't even know it. But anyway, that night, it was in a, the Clarence Hotel and it was a, a club that used to be going on every Thursday or whatever. And it was like two o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, maybe 
you know, club just starting really and um, really thumping now, hopping. And uh, all the guys, my friends were jumping around and seeing what could happen. And and I just remember uh, a vision um, appearing about 15, 20 feet away from me on a dance floor. And it is literally our eyes locked. There were people dancing in our way and we weren't dancing. And all I remember was she was wearing a white Angora sweater and a brown, yeah, a white, uh, yeah, a short sleeved white Angora sweater, like really short sleeves and a brown, tiny brown suede skirt, like hardly even there. A belt. And she was a a tiny, you know, a tiny elf of a thing, a a sort of a tiny. And our eyes just kind of met each other. And I remember being absolutely uh, kind of a little bit transfixed by her. For me, she reminded me of, uh, I used to love Vivian Lee, the actress. And she looked like the spit of Vivian Lee, especially kind of Scarlett O'Hara, Vivian Lee. And believe it or not, like we, uh, like a total cliche or like a Lynx ad. We started (laughs) moving, a Lynx Africa ad. We started starring Will Ferrell. We started moving slowly towards each other (laughs) in the dance floor. And believe it or not, we didn't even speak. The first thing we did was kiss. Yeah, dog. Yeah. I yeah, mean, your romantic food. That is very romantic. That is. We what, kissed. That is, that we is kissed. Lovely. Yeah, that's the first thing we did. We kissed. And then. Um, and then, uh, like, I don't think she kind of understood what happened and I didn't really understood what happened. So it was a little bit of magic, really. I mean, I, that didn't happen to me often, if ever. So I don't think I've ever walked up to somebody and just kissed them. So funnily enough, the first so the first interaction we ever had in our life was a kiss. Not a, not not even a spoken word. And now he's still kissing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it worked. It worked out. It did. And later. do you know what? That was 26 years ago. That's mad. Two days ago. Happy anniversary. So it was our, it, yeah, so it was our 20th wedding anniversary two days ago. Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. A selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. So we've been married for 20 years now. And I have to say it's been um, an extremely, extremely good uh, choice by me because uh, I know they say behind every good man, there's a great woman. But I think that a lot of men are actually saved by the women they meet from saved from themselves. Mm. And I could possibly count myself in that category that I had a lot of energy and I had a lot of unfocused desire and unfocused Arrogance and unfocused enthusiasm, energy, love, a lot of love to give, uh, a lot of energy to give. But really, it could have gone completely pear-shaped in terms of where that energy was focused. Mm-hmm. And I could have easily seen it being focused in a negative way. Um, and she saved me from all that in a very easy just being together way. That's all. She just changed the course of my life. That's and I changed good. the course of her life completely as well. And, you know, we really were each other's little rock that we met. And I I quickly then kind of fell out of that love of that lifestyle I was in and began what I would regard as my first adult relationship of my life. And it was my first and only it's my first and only adult relationship where I became an adult or, or something resembling an adult. Um, and we've been together ever since. And 
you know, we've really grown together as well, you know. So I must say that both of us are, although we're the same people, we're, we have changed a lot over the years, you know, like in the way people hopefully should change, you know. I mean, I think I'm a much better person than I was. And um, I've, I've matured a lot. I think the matured is as good a word as anything. Mm. And she's grown, um, she's grown to be a very, what I would regard as a very wise person, a very wise and full of love person who is, who, who is full of goodwill towards pretty much everybody she meets and puts her best foot forward with every situation and every person she meets. Um, and I don't think there is anybody I could be proud of her and the, proud of in the world more than my wife. I'm just so proud of her, proud of what she's achieved in her life and what she's achieving and the kind of person she is. She's she's a really uh, admirable human being as well as being my wife. She's an extremely admirable human being and uh, and full of nobility and noble purpose and uh, and, and and stickability, ability to get through things. I mean, so never more demonstrated for any of us, like I suppose that we've in this pandemic, how it's brought out different qualities in people and none more so than in her. She's demonstrated her finest qualities during this period of uh, incarceration, really, you know, which has been quite difficult for her because she is a homemaker. And for homemakers out there, it's been particularly difficult um, because They've been stuck at home as usual, but now everybody's in on top of them and it's been really difficult for them. They've had no escape. So, so she's, she's, she's had that, found that difficult to deal with and, uh, but she's doing really well. Um, and anyway, so it was a changing moment in my life because when I met her, that changed the course of my life forever. I'm just thinking that my husband is going to be wondering why I'm so odd with him for the weekend. <laughs> it's because <laughs> he would never speak like that. That was just so heartfelt and lovely. And like you really see her as a person. And the fact that you're, you're on this journey together, like and, and changing together. That's the kind of secret to it, isn't it? Because we're all yeah. going to change. Like I'd read about it. I mean, I'd read about it. I've seen films about it. I've I've you know that that hopefully your partner male, female, whatever, turns out to be your best friend. And uh, she is. She's my best friend. And uh, and and we're there for each other. And that's as good as you can hope for, really. And would you go as far as to say it was love at first sight? Would you believe in that kind of concept? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. I think that it can happen to people when you're, a, when you're I think it can happen to people a lot. I totally believe in it. And the reason it happens is not because of some sort of fluke. It, becomes, it happens because people are receptive at certain times. You're ready for it. That's what I was kind of explaining to you. I was sort of, some, I didn't really know it at the time, but something within me was just tired of, of, of what I was doing. And my, my, my personality, my soul, my heart, whatever, was probably looking for something. And she was it. And uh, you sort of, you know, there, there was a kind of, you know, the way you sort of, sometimes you look at somebody and they fit. What I don't know what that means, but they fit. It's like, that's it. They're, they're it. And, you know, it, it happened before I spoke to her. But what so, if you didn't like, go out that night? I, what if you decided to, ha you know, stay in that night? Do you think you still would have found her? Is it like it was destiny or on a course or was no, it just done? No, not at all. Or? I would not have. No, no, I would not so have. So you're just I so lucky. No, the course her. of my life would have been different. And 
I don't believe in destiny. I don't believe at all in destiny. I believe you change your, the course of your own life. And I believe that we're all, we're all, we're all, we're all the, the um, victims of and the, the players in a game of complete chance and luck, random chaos. Um, and yes, I believe that I believe that the, you turn left when you go out your gate, your life will be totally different. You turn right and your, 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 your life will be totally different and nothing is going to be certain to happen. You can make the decision yourself whether you turn left or turn right. And, um, you know, so, 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 so no. Um, but I, I do think that it's, the, it's similar to that idea of, oh, how is he successful or how is she successful? And somebody goes, um, well, they're really talented or they're really hardworking. And then the person themselves go, nah, I was kind of lucky. And people go, you were lucky. And somebody go, you go, yeah, I was lucky. But you have to make your own luck as well. And what does that mean? Well, that means that if you're ready all the time and you're working hard all the time, it's more likely you'll get into a stage where you're lucky. You'll, you'll, you'll get lucky. You'll have more of a chance to get lucky if you keep going really hard, giving your best putting, giving of everything you have into everything you do, you will get lucky because it's just, um, it's a game of numbers. Some, you will meet the right person or the right group of people who go, Jesus, he, she's good or he's good. And you go, yeah, I've always been doing this. And then they'll go, well, we didn't know you. We've only met you now. But then everything changes. But you could have given up previous to that and gone, you know, I've worked hard, long time. I try my best. Fuck this. Just, you know, okay, I'll do, I'll work hard for the, the other thing there next week, but not this one. I'm just tired. And that could have been the week that you make the difference. So just always do your best. Always do your best. And it took me a long time to learn to do my best, actually, because I was one of those people who was afraid to find out how good I was at anything. Because... In my earlier life, I was like, get a B in English, but I could have got an A. If I'd worked, I could have got an A. But the thing was, I didn't want to find out whether I could have got an A or not. I was, prefer like, a, like, like a lot of people, I was happier to live in a world where I imagined I could have got an A. But I'm just a bit of genius, so I got a B without doing any work. But you could have got an A. Yeah, I know, but I didn't bother. So then I changed my life from that as well. I used to be that person. And then I said, I don't know. I, I, I think it happened gradually over a number of years. But I turned from a person who thought he was great and could have got an A and didn't into a person who doesn't care if they get an A. I'm just going to give you everything I have. And sometimes you get an A and sometimes you get a B. But it teaches you to give your best, absolute best. And I'm proud of that lesson I learned that to give somebody your best, to give if somebody hires you or you go on stage in front of a thousand or two thousand or three thousand people to know that tonight you're going to go out and you're going to give them your A game, whatever that is. Mm. And I think that people, when they see me on stage, they know that I've given everything. They well, can feel it. As an audience member, I would have to agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely do. I definitely mm. do. I mean, my mother came to see me, hasn't come to see me many times, but she came to see me in 2012 in the Olympia. And uh, it was hard kind of getting the gossip out of her afterwards. She finds it bit difficult to talk to me about it but she said um uh she said whatever was happening there that night anyway mario there was a real sense of communication between you and the audience 
And I kind of went, what do you mean? And she went, there's a feeling in the room that you were there for them until they go home laughing their arses off and you're not going to let them out of the room until that happens. So it's as if you're giving a lot to them. And, uh, and I'm, that's exactly what I wanted to hear because that's exactly how I feel about it. I feel it's a, a, almost a kind of a, um, a little bit of a religious experience that uh, there's an unmasking in a way. Even though everything I do is about masks, there's an unmasking that I'm here, you're going to see something that I'm going to give you everything I have. Sweat, blood, tears, my personality. Um, and that's for me a lovely feeling as well to, to, to experience, to give of yourself. Not to hold back, but to show, to give of yourself. And I really enjoy that process. And that's why I, I, I love being on stage. And therefore, I know that I'm doing exactly the right thing in life. Um, because uh, uh, there's a giving thing involved, which there's something in my personality which enjoys that process. And your own parents split up when you were younger. Like, is your mother's praise, was that very important to you? Or had you got to the stage in your life then when you were comfortable enough with yourself that it didn't really matter or, I mean we always want our parents approval I yeah. suppose but I, I'd say this I'd say the latter Esther yeah mm. I'd say the latter I'd say I'd gotten to the stage where I could I could function and, and be happy without it but no it did matter as mm. well it mattered as well and if somebody so close to me as her it's interesting to hear how she would feel just the the vibe in the room or just just to feel my energy because mm. I'm her son and to feel how that energy is transmitting to the public at large was, was interesting. But anyway, um, mm. yeah, so that, so, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing, but, uh, yeah, no, they, they did split up when I was uh, young many times. And so it was quite an unstable background and, uh, and that's what led to me going to boarding school in Cork and, um, and possibly then to tie into that whole thing of having a stable marriage with Blonnet, I would think it was something we both really want, both, both really cared for, cared about. And I certainly really cared about having a, being committed to having a stable marriage, if possible, um, that I would really make a go of doing something that hadn't happened to me mm. um, and to reverse it, to jump the generations, to go, that generation is not going to be the same as this generation. I'm going to change it, change it around. And uh, so Blonde has always known that I felt like that about it. And she's always been absolutely in cahoots with me. Uh, about doing that and so yeah so um, just I was determined to if I could create a you know almost cliched stable environment Um, not the Waltons but because I realised there's no there is no Waltons I thought there was a Waltons when I was a kid so I would I'd had an unstable background and my friends would see them go into their house and I'd imagine when the door shut that the dad was by the fire and the mum had their dinner ready and it was a you know, that, that, that the dad had words of wisdom for the son and the mum had love for the son and he just went to bed in a lovely warm house. But actually, that didn't always happen. Every family is dysfunctional to some degree. Um, so I learned that later in life, that there's no such thing as a perfect family. But uh, I do believe there is such thing as more perfect families, like the families are more perfect than others and that there are, there are more stable backgrounds than others. And, and so I just wanted to be part of creating a really stable background for my kids. And Dash and Bellamy, am I pronouncing that right? I know we've spoken yeah. before and one of the things I took away from the interview the last time was how important being a dad was to you. And I suppose they were much younger then. They're probably around 12 and 8 now, are they, Mario? Or... Yeah, he's 13 and she's 8. Okay, so you're in teenage years now. and Yeah. So they were, they, they, you know, when we spoke last, they, they were in the fun, you know, 
adoration of their dad that you know that age is your relationship with them still going well are you are you still like always focused on that you know working on being the type of father you want to be or does it just come naturally after a few years no I don't work at that being any type of father I I, I just think we've never like both of us are care Blonnet particularly just cares so much about being a woman and and being a, a great homemaker but we've never we've actually funnily enough never worked at being parents I think we came across the idea somewhere that if you hold yourself up to standards like that, you'll just not, you'll make nonstop mistakes. You'll just see the mistakes you're making. But the, the way to look at it, that we look at it is just do your best. Do your very best with all the love you can. And that will be good enough. Right. I mean, you've heard young parents before they have a child go, how do you do that? I'm terrified of having a child. What, like, what do I do when it's born? It'll die, won't it? <laughs> No, it won't. You just do your best and it'll all be fine. And 12 years from now, you'll be laughing, just going, I can't believe I thought all that would happen, you know. Um, And then you see women or parents who've had their fourth child and then you go, you know, they can't believe how mad they were about the first one. And that they thought (laughs) they'd drop it out of the buggy and all this and it would bounce down the road and its head would be split open. And then the fourth one, they just throw it around anyway, knowing it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You just do your best. And so that's all we do. We do our best. I mean, in relation to Dash, he's 13 now. So he's obviously going through his teenage years. And and I have to say, it's it's the exact same with you, as, as you might expect, Esther. But one, <laughs> one little thing we have in common, though, is he loves making rap videos. And oh, wow. Music. Cool. And he makes, he edits and directs uh, little rap videos very well. like, And so he's... Cool up on using the technological edit um, programs and everything in iMovie and GarageBand and all this. And so he helps me make stuff at home for corporate videos and things. When a company hires me to do Miriam O'Callaghan for them, he'll shoot it and edit it and all that, you know. So it's so funny. I'm in a dress and a wig at home going, genuinely can't believe that Microsoft want to hire me. And he's there, action dad. And oh, then, man. and then, for the rest of the night, he'll be up editing me in a dress with a wig, going, "Do you want the bit where the wig comes down and you fall over and you oh, can see your underpants?" Stop. And I'm there, like, uh, "Yeah, leave the underpants in part." And uh, that's all that. So we have. So in other words, that's bonded us together. And the other thing we love doing together is watching really, really great movies. So oh. he has a really, uh, he has a really good interest in movies, and especially the how of movies. So how did that happen when they... Uh, so he loves the art of making movies. And so at the moment, we just finished watching Saving Private Ryan, which is a very, very hard movie to wow. watch. Him. And uh, he's, he loved it. And now we're in the middle of what's it? Fury, Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? It's, no, uh, it's again, another list. war movie. About yeah, 2013, yeah. 2015, 2016. Yeah. Really harrowing war movie. So, but, so he likes, um, at the moment, he, he's... You know, he likes he likes this tough stuff, hard stuff, hard to watch stuff. Um, realistic, he's probably really realistic. Probably looking at the camera angles and how they did yeah. the beach scene and all this yeah. kind of yeah, yeah, and, and editing and how how quickly things are edited and transitions from one scene to another. And um, there's a beautiful scene in Saving Private Ryan where which he noticed and it was interesting where they the the the, the camera focuses deep into a little um, uh, wood. It f- focuses on a wood and then it, the camera goes closer and it focuses on a bunch of leaves and it gets closer to a leaf and very close to a leaf until finally you, you can hear the rain coming down on the leaves, right? 
and then the camera gets closer and the sound gets louder until you're really close to the leaf and it's going, the, the, the rain is falling on the leaf and it's going. You know the way heavy rain can fall on a leaf? And suddenly the, the rain on the leaf transforms to a scene where all these guns on the battlefield are. So it's a beautiful transition from the sound of rain on a leaf to the exact same sound, which happens to be bullets being fired from a gun. And it's like just a little, no, it's just a little example again of yeah, what a yeah. genius Spielberg would be, yeah. you know, and, and, but he noticed this and I thought it was a really, really cool thing to notice. And then with Bellamy, she's eight and she's a real, what's the word, firebrand. Good. She is, she's her own law. She's a law unto herself. And um, <laughs> she is a force of nature, uh, a big shock of blonde hair on her. And, um, and uh, you know, force of nature personality, you know, and uh, and quite difficult to get around at times if she wants to, uh, she she gets her own way, you know. Uh, and then yet a heart of gold beneath mm. it all. You know, we call her, we used to call her Nurse Baba at times because her, she has an instinct to kind of go and take care of people like, she wants, you know, to, to mine them and stuff, you know. So, she, you know, if, if I was saying what she'd be right now, I'd probably go, she'd be 98% in the Venn diagram of vet. Oh. <laughs> she said, I said, what do you want to be now? She said, it's either vet or animal rescue. Okay. <laughs> she wants to be animal rescue. She sees herself coming to the aid of distressed animals. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. Brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, so they're, 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 you know, they're, he's, you know, he, you know, Dash is, 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 is it, I won't, I, I don't, actually, I don't want to, I don't want to give away his confidence, but he mm. is, he is in um, that, that young period of mm. your life at the moment where, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes tougher than other times to communicate and get your point across and uh, there's conflicting emotions happening within you and you, you want to be with your friends a lot. Um, I don't think I'm the uncoolest thing that ever happened. You know, I know we all, we all dread these things when the, our sons think we're the uncoolest thing. But I think being on the radio and doing the satirical sketches gives me slightly uh, Got a bit like, of more, more leeway. I think he might, because he often meets his friends and he goes, oh, your dad's a legend. I heard a song on the radio. So fucking cool. Like, what a song. Like, I mean, really, Leo Varadkar and all these, really killing them. Like, <laughs> you know, so like they would regard the idea of killing politicians and murdering them, as, you know, with satire as kind of being kind of cool. And I remember like, being 13 and 14 and all of us were watching um would have would have been in the the realms of kind of watching Monty Python and the, and the Holy Grail and the life of Brian and things like that and regarding them, even though we didn't even fully re- understand the satire we would go oh they're great like Monty Python yeah mad like you know like um so like definitely it's it's on that cusp of you yes. know satire and things and comedy are kind of cool but He'll probably get to a stage in a, in a year or two where he goes, he finds much more edgier stuff than me and he regards me as like a total sellout. Like. I don't think so. I don't think so. But one of your moments kind of links all that as well, um, Mario, and that's when you moved into that house with the two Kiwis and how mm. it all started off, you know, doing your satire and doing your voices. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? To bring it to where you are yeah. today now with your own show, still doing the most popular, you won all the awards recently at the Radio Awards, you have your own podcast. But do you bring that back to that moment when you moved into that house? I, I do, yeah. I mean, again, it's just pure luck, Esther. You know, I was an actor and I was living at home and it was my first time moving away from my my home. I was 26 and um, I, like, like this is how... This is how gauche I was. My mother went with me to the interview <laughs> with the girls. Oh, 
and they were like, you know, they were they were from New Zealand, and they were quite worldly wise, and they'd been on a tour of the world, and um, you know, they were Dublin was just their latest stop, and being very resourceful young ladies, they had managed to secure this beautiful three four bedroom apartment in Monkstown for half nothing. And they both had jobs in Dublin already. One was working as a swing producer, like a temporary producer in Radio Ireland because uh, she came from a radio and TV background in, the, in New Zealand. And Kim was working as a jeweler in Dublin. And I came as this guy looking for, a, you know, a flat. And they think they thought I think they thought it was absolutely charming that I came with my mother. And so they almost sort of auditioned. I think the reason they gave me, they, they wanted me to commit to that is they actually thought my mother was great crack. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, mom. that they could, they could see themselves going out for a drink with her. Brilliant. And, uh, yeah. And anyway, so we settled in and I, 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 they were my first experience of living with somebody. And uh, they kind of taught me the, the, the ways of the world in terms of how you share a flat with somebody, really. Um, and once uh, Robin was working, she was kind of like the Charlie Bird in New Zealand character. She was a TV reporter on politics. And uh, so Robin got a job as a producer on a breakfast on the breakfast show in Radio Ireland before Ian Dempsey. And they used to hear me going around the house doing my impressions. I'd be in the shower and she might hear Mario. Is that you doing Jerry Adams having a shower with Martin McGuinness? Or are so they shower. <laughs> yeah, I'd be doing this shower going, I'd be doing in the shower and I'd be pretending I'm Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness in the shower. You know, Martin, you want some Tahiti shampoo? Oh, Jerry, yeah, rub me down there, Jerry. <laughs> what do we do about the peace process? Forget about the peace process, pass the show up, Jerry. <laughs> or whatever. And they went, Mario, they're hilarious, whatever. Do you want to ring into the breakfast show one day as Jerry Adams I'm giving out about the Britney Spears song, the new song, Oops, I Did It Again? Or whatever. And I went, yeah, fine. So I just rang in and uh, they said they got a great reaction to it. And then somebody in that station said, do you do any more voices? And I went, I'd never thought about it before. And I went, yeah, I do. Probably about 50, 60, 70, 80 different characters. All sorts of weird ones like Alec Guinness and James Mason, you know, from old actors from, you know, North by Northwest. And, you know, um, Michael Douglas, greed, for want of a better word, is good. Greed for life, greed for power. Greed's what's going to save this malfunctioning corporation known as the United States of America. Thank you. And all these sort of little, just weird little impressions of film stars and even people I knew. And Bertie Ahern, I remember, was one of them because he'd just become Taoiseach and I used to do a bit of a Bertie. So something inside me said, just this acting thing is so unreliable. Just get into a taxi, go in there and just see what happens. And anyway, that was the beginning. I got into a taxi, did about, put down about 50 voices. They said, can you write? I went, no. Can you try writing? I started, I basically started from scratch writing on a paper page going how to write a joke, how to write. And now 22 years later, I would regard myself as a half decent writer of sketches. So um, that's 22 years ago, 23 years ago. And uh, a year later, Ian Dempsey came on board, heard me doing some of the sketches around the station, said we should meet. We met, we hit it off, complimentary sense of humour. And so began a beautiful friendship. Oh. <laughs> and and myself and Ian have been tied up with each other's fortunes for 22 years now. And he was the first guest on my podcast. Yeah, go on, tell me uh, about your podcast. How are you? How's it going? And what's Brilliant, yeah. Like, so I had a radio show on for two and a half years on Today FM, Mario Sunday Roast. And uh, for reasons that I, I don't need to go into now, that was unfortunately canned. And um, I really said after that, I, I felt really let down about it. And I went, I have to continue this. So myself and Patrick, the producer, said, listen, any chance we get, we'll do a podcast. Pandemic came along, 
what better time? Brilliant. And so it took us three months or so of, of looking at it, thinking about it. And now we're up and running. And for the first two weeks, it was number one in Ireland. And um, we put a lot of work into it. And when you hear an episode, you see why? Because it's, it's really dense and it's, mm. you know, there's, there's comedy in it. There's going to be new comedy in it every week. And it's well produced and the sound is good. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I'm delighted with it. I love it. I absolutely adore it. But like a lot of people out there um, who are doing podcasts, this is the freedom and the independence. Uh, and the ability to say fuck if you want to, <laughs> uh, fuck. Uh, uh, you know, and of course, no, no ads to go to. Oh, and no, uh, and no, you don't have to go to a stupid record by Ariana Grande if you don't want to. There you go. Um, you know, and you don't if somebody's really interesting, you go, come on, let's just keep talking. Yes. Um, and, you know, you don't have to t- time yourself. So it's been a, it is a great experience and I love doing it. And, and I love being myself. Yeah, I love being myself. I learned a few years ago. It was difficult, I thought, at the beginning. For me, um, but I learned it's a lovely thing to be yourself as well. And people don't mind both things. People don't mind that you're the guy that does the comedy and seeing yourself. Uh, I thought that they'd go, no, you know, I, I, you know, you have a, a nightmarish image in your mind of what the negative could be, you know, about things. And they go, what are you doing that for? Stick to the comedy, will you? You fucking idiot, you. Uh, but actually, people don't really react like that. They go, Jesus, it's really interesting to see the guy behind the sketches. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know. Uh, and, and we can it. find so, that. So were it not for the were it not for the fact that I went for that interview with mm. Kim and Robin for the 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 uh, flat, there's no re- there's no way I would have been involved in Radio Ireland and then Today FM, and probably never involved in comedy. I would have continued on my, I would have continued on my 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 unsure path as an actor. And you know, it's something I'm actually returning to now. But I'm looking for to kind of looking to kind of get more acting jobs now if I can because I it's what always driven me and basically I act every morning I, I act my own script and uh, but I'd love to do more um, dramatic roles maybe in the future and uh, so yeah but if, if I hadn't gone for that flat uh, interview there's no way I would have been involved in uh, 23 years of radio and television comedy and we never would have got to have this chat Mario um, we never would have arrived here, Esther. Yes, <laughs> there you go. It may have been it may have been me sitting where you are, working in the Irish Examiner as a journalist, interviewing somebody, interviewing Esther about your latest dream hire, bloody dude. novel or dream something. Dream hire. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And that was Esther's last podcast for the moments that made me. <laughs> We'd like to wish her all the best in her future. But it's a pleasure always talking to you, Esther, because you you're too. very um, you love you love you love the heart and soul of uh, of talking to people. You you're very tuned into that. I Thank remember you. the last time when I spoke to you. Yeah, you were well. You're you, a dream. You're a dream to talk to. I'm delighted. You made you made my week. Thank you very much. Well, you're you're, e- you're easy to be honest with. I think you tune into honesty quite easily. Thank you, Mario. I was listening to a couple of your podcasts. It's like, I, I don't even realize I'm getting my steps when I have you in. I'd recommend anyone to listen to it. It's, it's a really interesting, as you say, dense, fabulously listen, and you'll be laughing the whole way as well. Yeah. Um, so best of luck with that. And best yeah. of luck when you win your first Oscar, you'll come and chat to us again. I will, of course, Esther. I will, of course. Thanks, Thank Mario. You so much Take for care. Thanks to Mario Rosenstock for talking to us there. Thank you to JJ Vernon for sound and editing. And thank you for listening. Bye-bye.